Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Ryan Garner, your host for today's show. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the jobs to be done approach and how impactful it can be when designing digital propositions. Why is it the key to making your product an integral part of your customer's life? How can it help you create powerful end-to-end customer journeys? And why is this the future of product design? To help answer these questions, we've got some amazing contributors on this show. Dissecting the theory, the application, and the challenges of jobs to be done. We're going to explore how and why industry leaders are putting customers at the center point of their businesses. So, we've got insight from Alan Clement. He's a leading jobs to be done thinker and author of When Coffee and Kale Compete. We've got David Breer, who's the 11FS Global CEO and former Metal CEO. We've got Justin Gearney, all the way from Hong Kong, who's a CPO of Standard Charters Virtual Bank. And finally, we've got Peter Collinridge from City Ventures. He's the global head of entrepreneurs in residence there. So lucky for you guys, you won't just be listening to myself. We've managed to get some really great people who are really pushing the boundaries of this space talking on this podcast. So a question I get a lot is, what exactly is Jobs To Be Done? Like all good explanations, we're going to start with an analogy. So let's take a step out of financial services for just a minute. Let's imagine that we're working for a lawnmower business and we've been tasked with finding new growth for this business. There's a number of different ways we could tackle this challenge. One would be to go and speak to the users of lawnmowers, ask them how are they getting on with it? What do they want to see improved? What would they like to see in lawnmower version 2.0? We might get results like uh, make it more reliable, make it lighter, make it smaller so I can fit it in my small shed. Second approach might be to take this kind of technology-led approach. Let's have a look at what's in the market that we could use to build this next lawnmower. We could look at self-driving lawnmowers, self-charging lawnmowers. We could even put a camera in the back of it, which posts a photo to Instagram as soon as your lawn is finished. But these two approaches are kind of missing the point. The point is not the lawnmower. The point is the customer wants shorter grass or a tidy garden. When you think about the customer outcome, then the whole solution space opens up. You could think about, well, is this AstroTurf? Is this actually a patio? And the other great thing about jobs to be done thinking is that it's really great for helping you think about developing services, not just products. And then for those businesses who have products in highly commoditized markets, jobs to be done thinking helps you identify opportunities that are more service-based, allowing you to differentiate better from your competitors. So just like many theories, there are various perspectives on how it's defined. I asked Alan Clement, author of When Coffee and Kale Compete and leading thinker of Jobs as Progress, how he defines it. I would say the how we like to think about describing jobs now, it's about understanding market behavior, which that means understanding how demand gets generated, what demand looks like. And how consumers go out into the market and discover and think about and eventually buy and use products to meet that demand. And so that's 
that's kind of how we think about it now. And I think the people who most successfully apply job syncing understand that and use it in that way. It's a way of defining customer needs, but it's, it's done so in a very, you know, supply and demand relationship. So, you know, meaning that like it's, we're not investigating what are the needs of, you know, someone who is using our refrigerator, for example, right? And so that's, which is kind of very much, I think, like user experience or like usability, I would say, you know, about, you know, when people are using our fridge, what do they do and don't want? This is more about like, well, why did you buy a refrigerator in the first place? Like what was going on in your life that made you think, oh, today I have to buy a fridge or we have to start using a refrigerator. Like what was going on there? So it's, it's defining needs at the, like the market level, right? Supply and demand, as opposed to just focusing on a supply item or maybe a product category and investigating what people do and don't want or like when, they're, when they are using those particular products. So Alan touched on some really key themes there that help us understand and describe what Jobs to be Done is. Demand, discovery, and how something is used are all mentioned, and they're definitely going to be things we're going to explore on this show. But to set the scene and further explain what this kind of awkward phrase of Jobs to be Done actually is, I'm going to tell you a short story of how I came across Jobs to be Done. So I started out my career as a researcher. I worked for a global research agency, working with some of the biggest tech companies all around the world. And I started out in my career just before the iPhone was launched. And so we were working with companies like Nokia and RIM and Vodafone and O2, some really, really, at the time, innovative companies. When Apple launched its iPhone in 2007, and probably more importantly, when it launched the App Store in 2008, this fundamentally changed the whole tech landscape and how you take digital propositions to market. So this was a fascinating time for me because I was effectively working with the incumbent mobile and tech companies in the business that were now playing catch-up with a challenger brand at the time, it's funny to think of them that way now, like Apple, coming into the smartphone market and completely changing the dynamics. So a lot of my work focused on product development research, working with product teams. How do we develop services that can compete with the likes of what Apple was bringing to market and then Google quickly followed with the Android platform and all the Google services that followed that on smartphones and mobiles. We did some fascinating research. And the decline of Nokia and RIM was not necessarily around the lack of ideas they had. That was down to other things, which is probably a whole other podcast on itself. But what became evident to me is how do you take those great ideas, those great insights that you collect from customers and make them super usable in a really fast-paced way to get those ideas to market and get them tested. So this was a big moment for me. How do you go from working with some of the most leading companies in the technology and smartphone market and help them transition insights into real, tangible products in market? There was a gap here, a real significant gap. And so I spent a bit of time looking around to see how we could make the insight process more impactful on the product design process. And what I came across was Clayton Christensen's theory of jobs to be done. 
Now, I had read The Kind of Innovator's Dilemma a long time ago, but I hadn't come across The Innovator's Solution. It was just one of those books I hadn't picked up. And so what was described in that book was exactly the problem I was trying to overcome. And Jobs to be Done Theory was one of Clayton Christensen's core principles in how to overcome the innovator's dilemma. So I started experimenting with Jobs to be Done. It was the kind of thing that I felt could really move the needle, that could really help big businesses reposition themselves around the customer, because their lunch was being eaten by new upstarts and challenger brands that had really nailed the customer problem that were so laser-focused on the customer that the incumbents felt out of date. So when I started playing around with this and applying jobs-to-be-done theory to my own work, I realised the outcomes were so much more impactful than what I had previously experienced. So now we've defined jobs-to-be-done, we're going to explore the crucial gap that it fills in the current product design process. What is jobs-to-be-done looking to solve? First and foremost, the most obvious problem it solves all revolves around the customer. The phrase customer centricity is thrown around a lot these days, but there's a danger that it's becoming a buzzword. There seems to be little substance to what people say they will build versus what they actually do build. The issue we have right now is that products are designed without consulting the end users properly. At best, companies conduct customer research in a very superficial manner. At worst, they create a black box of design process with firm boundaries where the customer's voice never seems to break through. Finally, the other key problem Jobs to be Done overcomes is shifting an organisation's focus away from commodity products towards services that deliver way more value to the customer. I asked David Breer, former Metal CEO and current CEO of 11FS, why and how companies are forgetting the customer. It's amazing how many organisations are so far away from consumers that you're, you're not really uh, doing much more than sort of reconnecting old friends. Uh, I, you know, I really believe that there's a kind of a lost art in this with big organisations because no big company ever started something successful by being so far away from their consumer. Bizarrely, the, almost the ossification of their processes and their understanding of those things, you know, would have been phenomenal back in the day has probably, you know, got two or three layers of dust that needs sort of blowing off those things. So, um, you know, I should say it's like there's, there's amazing amounts of pockets within big organisations that truly understand what their consumers are. And they're usually people who are well and truly on the front line. You know, these are the people who are, you know, in the call centre, in branches, who day in, day out deal with the realities of actually what consumers have problems with or consumers are actually trying to do. Um, it just happens that probably most of the people who make decisions around digital banking investment particularly probably have never talked to a consumer um, and the sad part of that is is that actually the the leaps of faith that they make are usually based on a sample size of one them and that's the problem because not everybody's a well-paid white banker uh, you're probably going to find that the nuances of the realities of everything outside the walls of that organization is very very different to the ones that they live within um, you know, it's very similar. We did some work looking at internal IT infrastructure for an organization at one point. And the CEO didn't think there was a problem because, like, 
somebody opened the door every time he wanted to leave his office. And if his phone broke, there was one there in 15 seconds. Now, if that's the reality of your life, then actually you don't think there's a problem with those laptops that break down every 15 seconds and the Wi-Fi, that doesn't work, right? So people's vantage point very, very often skews the reality and the thing that they think, well, everybody's like me. Uh, And the reality is most of the time they're not. Have you heard the story of the group of blind men and the elephant? Well, bear with me on this one. It goes like this. One man felt its trunk, the other felt its side, and the last man felt its tail. And they all thought, ah, that's what an elephant is. It's just the specific body part they felt, not the whole animal that makes up the elephant. If you ignore the elephant for a minute, I know that's quite hard. This is what product design teams at some companies are doing. They are designing based on their own belief of what a customer wants, instead of zooming out and objectively understanding the jobs they are trying to get done. They currently can't step back and see the elephant as a whole, and this is exactly what David is alluding to. The process results in companies spending millions on digitising analogue solutions and creating me-too products, which don't help customers make meaningful progress in their lives. What we should aspire to do is to build truly digital products that have meaningful impact on customers. Forgetting about the customer can be fatal, not only to the products you're creating, but also potentially to your business. I spoke to Peter Collinridge, Global Head of Entrepreneurs in Residence at City Ventures, who told me it's time for companies to stop selling and to start listening. So that switch from selling to listening, for example, is really, really important. And, right. and that is probably the most important thing. Like if, you, if you ask me one thing that I want my founders from the business to do, it is talk to customers. And is talk to customers so that they achieve humility because when it like steve blank says you know no business survives first contact with the customer mike tyson everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the in the face or punched in the mouth like those customer conversations tend to punch you in the face right because you realize that you were wrong about your hypothesis so doing that early on is very important to teach the founders that humility being punched in the face by mike tyson or not is painful But crucially, as Peter alludes to, it's imperative it happens a few days or weeks into your product build, rather than a few months. Now, we've used a lot of analogies already. But if you nudge an aeroplane right at the beginning of its journey, a thousand kilometres into its flight, the outcome where it ends up is completely different. Now, the nudge in our context is the customer research conducted and how we interpret it. That nudge could simply be a nudge or it could be a rather large shove. Putting the customer at the centre of your product build is critical. As David mentioned earlier, it's as much a product development process as it is a cultural mindset. Peter echoed the same sentiment, particularly when there's pressure to finish something fast. When this is the case, that mindset is often forgotten. The very natural response to any project going slow is to like throw more people at it, right? And there's a... I don't know if you know this book, I haven't read it. And I think most the joke about it is that everybody knows about it, but they haven't read it. There's a book called The Mythical Man Month, a classic of, of software engineering that says, how does a software project go one year over time, one day at a time, right? So I think the quality problem you've got to, like most organizations know how to hire, right? But do they, the problem is more the mindset, right? So if you've, if you've got 
engineers and product people who are used to executing a roadmap and a, and a stream of tickets. That is very, very different to like saying, okay, you've got to triple this metric in the next week. How are you going to do it? And so it's the mindset that I think is the most challenging thing. After listening to both Peter and David, it's clear that Jobs We Done could be multifaceted in its impact on a company. Alan tended to side with this thinking, explaining once more that a Jobs We Done approach really is applicable across all areas of a business. So I would say it actually helps everyone in the organization, from engineer to designer to customer support to strategy to marketing, you know, actually helps the entire organization because it helps you understand you know, what business are we in and you know, why are people buying this product and what kind of meaningful change should it help them make. Um, however, of course, it helps different parts of the organization um, you know, in, in different ways. I find that it's most impactful around like market segmentation and strategy work. And then I think once you take a job's thinking from a product strategy and from a market positioning point of view, then that, that kind of trickles down and that thinking will also guide design and product and engineering as well too. Because once you go to your, you know, so like, so for example, if, if you're at hotels.com, and you know you communicate internally about your product. Okay, here we're we're all about helping people find cheap hotels, whatever it is, right? You know that that strategy, that mental model, is what everyone in the organization is going to kind of carry with them, as opposed to say, hey, hey, y'all, you know, I understand that Hotels.com, our technology functions helping people choose hotels, but really, what we're in the business of is helping them craft up and make the best, most successful vacation, right? Or helping people make sure that their business trip is properly well-planned, right? Or, you know, helping people figure out how to choose a, a, an affordable family vacation with kids. So, you know, I, I think once marketing and strategy kind of phrases the business, you know, business problem, if you will, or, you know, really why what business that they're in, that thinking then will trickle down throughout everyone and guide product and engineering and design so that when they are, you know, at, at the, you know, at the core, like, you know, where should I put this button on this page or how should I write the code for this site? They can kind of have that mental model in their mind and guide their own decision at the low level as well. So what if a company is doing research, but the research is done really badly? We've talked about companies being out of touch with their customers. But what if there is that touch point and it's just not being used properly? Sometimes researchers just ask the wrong questions. So going back to my early days of my career, I talked about discovering jobs to be done as a way to discover more strategic insights that go beyond just these incremental changes. Now, incremental changes to a product are really important. That's how products improve. But you can't just keep doing incremental improvements. You have to keep recalibrating the positioning of your product direction to what customers want. So the best starting point for this is to understand the customer jobs and then design something around that customer job. The customer testing that follows that makes sure the design meets the customer's job. It's not about validating whether that is an opportunity space worth 
going for or not. You've already figured that out with the jobs to be done analysis up front. So what does bad research look like? Well, there's a lot of different ways this can happen. In my experience, the worst use of research is doing research to prove a point. It typically goes like this. I've come up with a great idea and I need some evidence to back it up. Otherwise, I'm not going to get it past the Xco. This kind of research is just counterintuitive and just effectively a load of fluff. The other way research can be done badly is by jumping straight into a design sprint. Your team thinks about what is this next best solution, you storyboard it, you draw it up, you take that proposition idea and you drop it into a survey. Put a few lines of description and ask customers, are you going to use this? Is this thing appealing? Do you think this is different to what else is in the market? Using rating scales typically. Now the results you get from this kind of research are just a bit pointless because the scores always range between something like 30 to 40 to 50%. And really when you're trying to benchmark these things, you know, the, the benchmarks don't really work. And you've got to remember the context within which the customer has answered that survey. They've just seen your storyboards in a survey on their screen and they've gone, yeah, it looks all right. Yeah, I probably would use it without even really reflecting on what else is in the market and what it is they would actually use it for. So those kind of concept tests are pretty pointless. And again, they're just used to validate business cases and business cases that are usually typically weak. The benefits of starting with the job, not with the product in the design process is that you can identify service-based opportunities. In FS, we see a lot of commoditized products, such as products with only a few attributes to compare them against, like speed or price. These become easily comparable, and then it's effectively a race to the bottom as competition drives down price because there's little other value being offered to differentiate them. The digitization of those commodity and usually analog products has meant that the bank is now more distant from the customer. The bank understands customers less because the services bit has just been forgotten. The starting point for the best fintechs in the market today is to start with the customer job. Design a digital service that helps the customer make that progress on that job. And then at the end, think about how to weave in those financial products that create win-win outcomes for the customer and the business. What we see a lot is many organizations starting with the product and then just bolting on a digital experience and then trying to sell that without really understanding why it's been designed that way. You can't just paper over the cracks. Why would the customer buy or use it? That question needs to be answered and answered right from the start to have any chance of success. This is fundamentally a different approach for financial services. I asked David what reaction he sees when speaking to financial companies about starting with the customer in mind, not the product. I mean, it's definitely a journey. Um, in the same way as I'd say a lot of the stuff that we do at 11FS is, is a bit of a journey. It's, it's kind of getting people through that and holding their hand and getting them to sort of trust the process a little bit in terms of what we're sort of going through. Um, but I think fundamentally when you start seeing the uh, you know, the re realities of the information and the insights that are kind of coming from that, and because of the way in which we do that, that's, you know, we're talking about, tw you know, 24, 48 hours later. You know, I, I know uh, a couple of times I've been with you in Hong Kong where it's like, actually, you go from, uh, oh, that's a good idea to, you know, having conducted sort of 24 interviews in uh, 24 hours uh, and actual real insights kind of coming from that straight from, you know, straight off the bat. Um, people kind of see it in a very different way. 
This deal sets a path to a brighter future. We will leave the EU. Clearly, the pressure is beginning to produce jobs on the rules of the European Union. Brexit. The more you hear about Brexit, the less clear it all becomes. When everyone else is shouting, listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Cybos, the world's premier financial services event, is landing in London's XL on the 23rd to the 26th of September. More than 8,000 decision makers and experts from across the globe will gather to shape the future of finance, and the opportunities for fintechs will be bigger than ever. Specially priced fintech tickets are available. Don't miss out. Book today at cybos.com. There's a lot of opportunity to design services around end-to-end customer journeys, which nine times out of ten involve more than just financial services. They include other areas of our lives, like entertainment, travel, and social media. We see this in a lot of Eastern markets, with super apps like WeChat, Alipay, Grab, and Gojek. This creates really forward-thinking product leaders, pushing the boundaries of what's possible in service design. Justin Gini, Chief Product Officer at Standard Chartered's Virtual Bank in Hong Kong, exemplifies this really well. The other big thing that I think is that banking is going to be less about banking uh, and more about the important things in customers' lives. You know, everything from simple things like ordering food, you know, through to booking travel, you know, through to all of the social things that they do in their life. And Because this is really the place where banking needs to be able to integrate um, to keep itself relevant. So customers will be opening and using our app, our services, as, you know, as much as they do the likes of social media. Identifying these opportunities that Justin talked about are only possible if you take a customer-led approach to proposition design. Jobs to be done is perfect for this because it allows you and your team to think beyond your traditional industry category and create new value for customers. However, this is sometimes easier said than done. Launching something into the market is super hard. Jobs to be done can help create something that customers love, but the relationship needs to go much deeper than that. There are tensions that customers are always wrangling with. For example, with more mainstream customers, trust and security are huge factors in driving adoption. And this is where the incumbent banks have an advantage. Peter talks about this. If you think about jobs to be done, and then something like the financial version of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? There's, at a very fundamental level, probably the base job is hold my money securely, like look after it, make it safe. And, and that's a level playing field. But when you talk to customers of some of the challenger banks or the, the neo banks, like they don't, they actually find the large banks to be more trustworthy and, and safer than, than the neos, which is, I think, a big problem for, for, for some of those startups. 
No one business can do everything. A business trying to innovate needs to understand their unfair advantage. Partnerships can be a great way to deliver the kind of value David and Justin were talking about, whilst overcoming the challenges that Peter highlighted. Even if you have the most exciting new proposition, getting that into market is fraught with all sorts of challenges. When I spoke to Justin, he was talking to me about how delivery cycles and legacy technology inside banks can often be limiting. When you work for, a, a, I guess, any large organisation that has, you know, any amount of history or, or let, well, let's just say any amount of legacy technology, um, often you feel naturally constrained. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit self-limiting in terms of, I really want to do this. However, for me to be able to do this, it's not just about the customer experience. It's about going all the way back into that system, you know, which might be 10 years old or maybe be mainframe. Uh, and therefore, you know, with the, the budget cycles and the delivery cycles that you have inside of a bank, um, you often find compromise. David talked about the same kind of issues, citing the process up until the point of testing being a real bottleneck for most of these organisations. The minimum lovable product uh, process in itself, I think, actually has been quite an interesting one for the for big banks to sort of take on board because you know they used to um, you know three months of requirements and six months of sort of setting up an environment and you know two more years of doing you know so actually the idea of well the quickest way to sort of validate your hypothesis is to actually like test it you know create something quickly cheaply put it in the hands of people find out if actually the thing that you thought was you know true or right or good uh, is true or right or good um, so actually you know that that process of well it's not really about uh, a single delivery it's really about being in a situation where you can continue to deliver Using Jobs to be Done gives a team confidence that the MLP they're working to is in a high opportunity area of the market. The clients we're working with realise this high level of customer strategy is hugely beneficial to helping change their operating model in order to get new products into customers' hands. The important thing to remember is speaking to customers is not a one-off event. It is something that needs to be baked into the DNA of your team's culture. Justin talks about the advantages of designing digital businesses from the ground up with the customer at the heart of everything. The fact that we're doing all of this testing with the whole squad involved. So we have people from tech, you know, finance, risk, operations and product all sitting through these testing sessions uh, and participating in these testing sessions in both English and Cantonese and also, and also Mandarin means that that understanding moves across the team also out of product. Um, so even though I'm here leading the product team, um, the reality is there's no room in here where the product team sits. Um, the product team are pretty much scattered across the whole floor just as everybody else is. And I would say that's what helps us a lot as well because it's not a product function sort of, you know, teaching the organization what is, you know, what our jobs to be done and what do the customers want. It's everybody joining in in that research approach, everybody getting to see the output you know, everybody getting to have a voice in terms of challenging it. And culturally, that also makes it a lot you know, easier for us uh, to do what we're trying to do. In the previous section, we've discussed customer centricity, lack of or poor research, designing services versus products, and barriers to entry. So how do you do fast-paced, lean startup, agile, any other buzzword you want to throw in there, whilst also spending time speaking to customers? Most businesses see this as a bit of an oxymoron. They see them as two opposing approaches. There's influential thinkers such as Steve Jobs and Henry Ford who talk about not asking the customer what they want, 
But Jobs to be done isn't about asking customers what they want. It's discussing the progress they want to make in their lives and designing services to accelerate that progress. Since I've been at 11FS, I've been involved in designing lots of different fintech propositions. What's become really, really evident is that you can take that lean startup approach, that mentality of getting product into customers' hands really quickly, whilst also spending the time to think about why you're building this thing, i.e. using jobs to be done. We've been able to create really rapid processes that allows us to get out there and speak to customers and start to put together a jobs to be done framework for the business we're trying to build. And we can do this within a few weeks of getting going. Now, if we wanted an extra bit of certainty and add in a bit of quantitative data in there to help us rank and prioritise which job opportunities we should focus on, then that's only another extra couple of weeks. That can all run in parallel to all the other bits of work that you need to do. Things like, what is the competitive market doing? What are the other best-in-class uh, fintechs and user journeys uh, out there that we can steal with pride from? All of this stuff kind of has to happen in those first few weeks anyway. So why not spend the time speaking to those customers and thinking more strategically about the direction you want to take your proposition? Everyone has their own story about how they came across Jobstown and they have their own story about how they use it. Peter talks to us about how he applies it to both consumer and institutional ventures. We haven't always used Jobs and I have to give, even though I'd, I'd worked with Jobs before I came to City but I got more into sort of Cindy Alvarez and, and the mum test rather, and, and sort of Eric Reese and Steve Blank rather than pure job staff. And I, I have an amazing team of entrepreneurs and residents, both in London and, and in New York, and hired somebody from 500 startups who'd been the growth hacker in residence at 500 startups, a guy called Nopadon Wongpak D. And everything he did at 500 was around jobs. And he sort of re-enlightened me to that um, to the to the approach of jobs, and like I said earlier, we have the the consumer side of the business, and we have the institutional sort of capital market side of the business, and we apply jobs differently in those contexts. So, in the consumer side, it's probably quite straight up jobs. You you know, we use the functional, social, em emotional four forces. Yeah, a lot of that fairly straight ahead, like the switch interviews, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we do a lot of consumer interviews and a lot of what we're using it for is at the very beginning, validating and invalidating ideas. And then at the very end, the kind of go to market, the, the proposition, some like working out what the, how, the, how, the, how we should position the products, what language we should use, how we rapidly iterate landing pages to convert. Like that, that's all... We can nerd out on that for ages, right? On the institutional side of the business, it's very different and it's probably more sort of outcome-driven innovation type jobs. So it's more about thinking, like, what do they want to achieve here? Like, we're less on the social and emotional side of things, more on the functional. It's harder to get clients to interview on that side because yeah. they tend to be really, really busy. Time is absolutely money in that context. Yeah. And how, you know, a job switch interview, a good one can be 45 minutes to an hour and a half, right? You can't do that with, let's say, traders or managing directors, right? Yeah. So you have to find different ways of, of cutting to the chase. And it's not just venture teams, it's product leaders using jobs to be done to define the right kind of customer-centric culture that forms the genesis of a new digital business. 
because of the work that we did with you guys in the very beginning, um, we've really stuck true to, I guess, the jobs to be done framework. Um, it's been interesting. We, obviously, the people that we hear in the beginning were very well versed in it. Um, every single person who joins the team gets taken through the initial research. And then also, I guess, the permutations of the research that we've gone through over the last year, both so they can understand the approach, but also so when they're coming up with new things to test, they can understand whether we've already been there and looked at it. It's really great to hear how Justin's team has really embraced the customer and how Jobs to be Done has helped them do that. Now, Jobs to be Done has huge cultural benefits on your team. There are lots of different types of use cases for Jobs to be Done outputs. So we've talked a lot about designing new services, but also Jobs to be Done can be used to form a new brand. We can create things like customer manifestos, which links what customers want with values and the beliefs that your team has. Once you get to this level of sophistication with your analysis, your team has a whole new language about how it talks about the customer, the opportunity, and the proposition you're taking to market. Once the team is operating with the same level of knowledge about why it's building what it's building, and it's using the same kind of language, and everyone is keeping everyone else true to the fact that they should be testing with customers, they should be speaking to customers, that it should not be a one-off event, it should be a thing that you do as you go through the whole process of launching your business, then this is a super powerful culture that will just keep your whole team focused on the customer. When you start to move out of the kind of design phase and more into an alpha build phase, it's really important you take all the great findings you've gathered with Jobs to be Done into that build phase. What you can do to ensure that happens is when you design your roadmap, your MLP design, is to overlay those jobs to be done. What this enables you to do is to look at your roadmap and go, well, we prioritize this feature over this feature because it helps us answer this job and we can overcome this constraint that customers have told us about in the research. When I spoke to David, he talked to me about his approach to building a business. The ways in which you know we've used jobs, but equally in the way that we use um, the creation of the roadmaps that fall off the back of those jobs in terms of the fidelity of the solution to those jobs that we can actually create. Uh, you know, we had a conversation in our executive team earlier on that actually we're, we're taking a jobs-to-be-done approach to how we create the internal operation systems for, for 11FS. You know, this is, this is not about um, building a product. This is about building a business. And for us, that's the way that we approach anything, whether it's for a client or whether it's for us. It's about, well, what's that minimum lovable product? What's the thing that actually achieves the objectives that we're actually trying to do? You know, what is the things that will have the greatest amount of impact in the, uh, the shortest space of time for the smallest amount of investment to prove that actually the things that we think are right are right? And actually now once, once you start proving some of those hypotheses and you start proving that you're, you're moving in the right direction, then actually increasing the fidelity and moving those things forwards without having to spend millions and millions of pounds to, to put them in place, well, I mean, it just seems like good business to me. Building an operating model and a business with Joseph Bidon at the centre of it is, as David puts it, just good business. Alan also cites Pipedrive as an excellent example of how a company's operational system can be completely transformed through this progressive process. I'll talk about very briefly, right? You've you've captured this this jobs insights, right? You're understanding the type of progress that, that consumers are seeking. Um, you know, how do we now operationalize that, right? How do we share that insight throughout the organization? Um, but also, how do we communicate 
a vision for how to solve it. You figure out the demand, but then I think that's when you kind of go off. So like, like for them, for example, it, it required, so we actually did, did two different things. We did a, um, a research workshop, which is, look, let's just go out there and discover people's jobs to be done. So that's just entirely descriptive. That's all that is, right? Um, you know, here's the demand, the market, and here's what the supply that people are buying and using to meet that demand. And then we did a separate ideation you know, session of, okay, well, which, which demands do we want to focus on and, and what's the best way to deliver upon that? And, and again, it talks about it and we did around, you know, let's, you know, customers are looking to us, right? You know, that's kind of our job, you know, customers pay us to make decisions for them. So it's our job to figure out what's the best way to make sure organizations, you know, gain control of the sales process and then maintain that. And so then we actually had a separate design session for that. And then they communicated both of those insights into one, you know, one, one shareable that they share throughout the organization. So that was, that was very successful. And it actually transformed how their company was structured and how they operate internally. It was actually a pretty huge change for them. And so we're, we're very happy about that. So in this podcast, I've talked a lot about jobs to be done, what it is and how we apply it and the benefits we get from it. But what this is really about is about designing new businesses that care about their customers, not just their bottom line. We live in a world now where you have to connect with your customers. You have to be able to differentiate yourselves from other things that have gone before. And the only way to do that is to create businesses which are driving towards win-win outcomes, a win for the customer and a win for the business. And using Just To Be Done is a great way to identify those opportunity areas and build great products around them. This episode was brought to you by 11FS. 11FS is a challenger consultancy that designs, builds, and launches next-generation banks and fintech businesses. And if you like what we talked about on this podcast, we have other things you can look at. You can download a report we wrote on the jobs to be done of the UK's personal financial management sector. You can download the report at bit.ly forward slash jtbdpfm. We also host and run a lot of jobs to be done meetups in London. So if you're about in London and want to come and connect with a wider group of jobs to be done enthusiasts, then look up jobs to be done London on meetups.com. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can find me at Twitter at Ryan Garner, or you can email me ryan at 11fs.com. Thank you to our guests, Peter Collinridge, David Breer, Justin Gini, and Alan Clement. This episode was written by Patrick Barisha, Brandon Chung, and myself. Edited by Alex Woodhouse. Produced by Patrick Barisha. And finally, thank you for listening. Listening.